Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Modern Day Rebels podcast, the podcast that tells the stories of pioneers who actively create the lives they want to live. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, hello, my name is Julia Frank and I'm the host of this podcast. I am fascinated by the question of how we can live both better and more meaningful lives. Essentially what this means is that I explore how we can live life on our own terms without having to make any drastic daredevil changes. Whether you're employed, run your own business, work as a freelancer, or whatever your situation might be, this podcast's mission is to highlight the approach of those who live life a little bit more unconventionally to show you that you can too. Each week, I sit down with a modern-day rebel from a range of different personal backgrounds and industries to chat about why they decided to live life differently, what living life on their own terms look like, and most importantly, how they managed to do so in the first place. In today's episode, I sit down with Roshni Mathani, who's an analyst, UI slash UX app designer at New Day. I know that's a little bit of a mouthful. UI stands for user interface design and UX stands for user experience designer. And Roshni and I have been working on a couple of projects over the past year now. And so I'm so excited to have her on this podcast to sit down and chat about her career trajectory and what it's been like to move from architecture which he originally studied and worked in, to designing digital products. So we talk about kind of how after nine years in architecture, she realized that she didn't actually enjoy it as much as she thought she would. And why I was so excited to have her on the podcast is to talk about how she's really intentionally gone about identifying the things that she did love about architecture and the things that she was really good at within that field. And to then figure out, okay, how does that actually apply to another industry that I would be interested in? So she ended up making a career change and retrained as a user experience designer and now works within the digital world. So kind of moving from designing physical buildings to now digital products. I really admire Roshni's approach in the way that she's analytical and self-reflective of figuring out what skills she wants to develop and learn as well as what her strengths are and how those apply from one industry to the next, as well as being very intentional about further developing those strengths. We chat about that in the episode and I can't wait for you to have a listen, so we're going to get straight in. Well, welcome, Roshni, and thanks so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Sure. So I am a UX UI designer at New Day, which is a financial services company. And for those of you that don't know, UX design it takes a human-centered approach to design, and it's essentially about understanding your user and putting their needs at the heart of the design to make sure that you're designing a product that will solve whatever issue or needs that they have. And UX standing for user experience design. Yes. And before we kind of dive into how you ended up being a UX designer, why would you consider yourself a modern day rebel or why might someone else consider yourself a modern day rebel? So I guess some people might consider me a modern day rebel, probably because of the untraditional or non-linear approach to my career. So after about nine years of pursuing architecture, I kind of decided to completely drop that and change where I was living. And start afresh. So digging kind of into that, nine years is a long time yep. to study. <laughs> Take us back to kind of almost making that decision to go into architecture. So what is it that you initially, or what initially attracted you to the field of architecture? Yeah. So my kind of favorite subjects were 
art, maths, geography. And looking at all of those subjects together, I was asking around like my teachers and with my A-levels and just trying to figure out what sort of had brought in a lot of different things from those fields. And so someone suggested architecture and I managed to have the experience of shadowing an architect for a week. And I thought it seemed like a really great mix of both in understanding the environment, which brought in the geography, as well as art and maths with kind of like the structural aspects and the very technical field. So it just kind of seemed like it was going to fit all of my interests. So I just dove right in. Amazing. And you kind of started with the idea, did you have a vision of what industry you were going to work with? I don't know enough about architecture, but was there something in particular that you wanted to do within your architecture career to begin with? Yeah, so I think I was always kind of with the hopes that I would go into maybe education, designing schools and other educational type facilities, because between architecture and sort of a teaching, I those were my favorite, like, that was kind of what my decision was of what to apply for for university. So I thought that kind of designing schools would be a fun approach to that. And you ended up studying in the U.S., right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the decision to move abroad and then come back? Yeah, so... In the States, you kind of have the ability to change your major, which is a lot easier to do than kind of staying in the UK. I think it's a much more set. You kind of apply for something and you do it. Whereas in the States, you have the ability to try out different subjects as kind of like a core curriculum and then your major within that. And so I really wanted the ability to be able to change if I didn't actually like architecture because that whole decision was based on a one week shadowing and reading about it. And I was pretty sure that was what I wanted to do. But Again, I thought maybe teaching, maybe something else. And so chose to go over to the States and then kind of after university, got a job there, did my master's and then kind of figured that the next place where I moved, which was in the intent to take my architecture licensure exams, I kind of had to choose somewhere that I wanted to stay because it's kind of hard to move your license around. And London is home. So I came back. And Within those years, because I mean, nine years is is a long time, as I've already mentioned, but in terms of kind of changing and then making the decision to retrain, before we kind of get into that, during your studies, were there already some markers or some indicators where you realized, ah, oh, wait a minute, this might not actually be what I hoped or would have liked it to be? So definitely during my undergraduate degree, with all of the all-nighters and the really fun staying up way too many nights in a row doing work. I was questioning if the field, working in the field was gonna be kind of similar to that mentality. And when working, I found out that yeah, in some firms it is, but I didn't actually seem to mind that as much as I thought I would have. Um, I think I just really enjoyed the place that I was working that it made that sort of feel worth it. But then during grad school is sort of when my mindset started to change that. No, I actually don't think I enjoy this as much as I really think I did. And there was a specific moment, I mean, there might have been multiple, but there's a specific moment that you have mentioned to me that I found was quite interesting. If you want to kind of just talk about that a little bit, I think it was in a in a critique that you got some feedback from a professor. Yeah. So the way that architecture school works is at the end of each semester, you present all of your findings to a, a panel and the panel consists of sort of architecture professors as well as architects and people within the actual field. And so during my first one of graduate school, the one of the professors basically asked me how long I'd been in the industry and then made a comment about the fact that he could tell that I was jaded from real life experiences and that it was clear that I'd worked in a firm because I was way too practical. 
And it was a whole sort of 20 minute grilling on why I was doing architecture and whether I had was creative enough for this field. And so I left that feeling very disheartened and just was like, why am I here? Why am I back in grad school? Is this going to be worth it? What have I got myself into? So there was, there was a lot of self-reflection after that whole process. And with that self-reflection, because I think a lot of the time we can see that negative feedback as something and potentially get kind of deterred. How did you kind of work through almost that discomfort of like somebody else questioning it and realizing, no, actually, like they're right. And this might I might be too realistic or this might not actually be the field that I want to be in. So firstly, I'm a very stubborn person. So it kind of annoyed me that it took someone else realizing it to make me kind of question it myself because I didn't really want one person to have that big of an effect on me, especially as it was incredibly rude and it was a really upsetting day. And so the fact that I actually made a life change from it kind of still annoys me. But it did bring up a lot of questions of sort of what I actually decided to focus on in my semester and how that was kind of different to what other people had focused on. And it helped me realize that the things that I enjoyed, while yes, they do work within architecture, they could also work somewhere else. And yeah, so the practical nature, something that I didn't really think it was an insult, even though it was said like it should be. And so it made me kind of question, like, what did I actually enjoy about architecture? Was it the practicality? Did I want to go into more construction? A whole lot of questions that brought up that kind of terminology of being too practical. And so you kind of went through the, I guess there's a very kind of structural approach to, no pun intended there, architecture, uh, very kind of based on this step and this step and this step. So you'd kind of gotten to that point where you're you're essentially, are you, were you almost done at that point studying and full, almost fully qualified or? So I have a year and a half left of my master's. Um, but then after that, there's still the licensure exams and there's five of those and they can take a long time to fill. So I was, although it felt very close, still not that close to becoming a licensed architect. But you still were almost like the majority of it done then. So the decision to essentially say, you know what, I'm going to not continue this path. How did that kind of almost land with with your family or your friends and also justifying it to yourself? Because I know I can be quite stubborn, too. And sometimes it's easier to just be like, you know what, I'm just going to I'm just going to continue and just get it done. But that decision to then retrain ultimately was the, the better one. So kind of what were some of those conversations like initially? Pretty much straight after that, I started questioning it both within myself and then to everyone around me, kind of asking, do you think I can do this? Do you think this is a bad idea? Should I not have left? Should I not have come back to grad school? I mean, most people's response was kind of what you would expect, that don't let one interaction with one professor derail everything that you've been studying and working towards. You enjoyed working there, um, working in an architecture firm, so like, calm down was basically a lot of the original feedback that I got. And then I started kind of left that whole critique behind and started really looking into if not architecture, then what on earth would I want to do? And so as I sort of started mentioning, I started looking into whether I wanted to go into like construction, real estate. So I started taking more construction real estate classes in my master's itself. And I also was not really at all ready to drop out unless I knew something that was going to happen. And that was Probably also a bit of fear of what my parents and family would say if I kind of went from the thing that I'd committed so wholeheartedly to, quit my job, moved halfway across the States to do my master's, and then was like, actually, nope, never mind. So there was also a lot of just, I have a year and a half left, I'm just going to finish this year and a half and use this time to try and figure out what I want to do, because 
kind of a university is a great place to be to try and figure out what you want to do. And so then in that process of trying to figure out what you want to do, so, you know, you had all your friends saying, you know, don't let one person deter you, but it seems like you kind of knew that there was a little bit of truth. It's like, like that niggling feeling of like, ah, there's, there's something to it. You know, there's a sea of things you could potentially do. How do you kind of narrow that down to UX? Yeah, so the actual UX part of it didn't even come while I was trying to figure out everything during university. I was speaking, as I said, I kind of went to all my like friends and family and just kept asking different people for advice. And so some of the people that I went to were a lot of my friends from undergrad who were no longer doing architecture. And so I spoke to each of them about what they're doing and how that related to architecture. So a lot are in construction and One of my friends that I was talking to is sort of in product design. So I spoke to her a lot about digital design and how that was similar and different to architecture. And these conversations were sort of during the summer last year. And I don't even know what exactly it was that she said that kind of made it click, but I just decided it was something I definitely wanted to know more about. And so I started a trail of Googling of different job adverts and kind of what I would actually be doing as like a product designer, digital designer, UX designer. There's so many different terms to define all of it. And all of the different job descriptions that I read, I just realized I needed different skills than I had, but they all, what I was reading from the job descriptions sounded way more interesting to me than some of the stuff that I looked at within architecture. And what were some of those things? So a lot of them, well, one of the great things about sort of digital design is the time span of it. It's a lot more fast paced. You can really kind of see the impacts of what you're designing. And I liked the idea of sort of designing something, seeing it straight away and being able to then iterate on it, being able to really use every single sort of aspect about it to help make it better. And a big thing that made me kind of look more into user experience design is I hate making decisions. And within architecture, all the decisions that you have to make kind of ride on you. You're in charge of like how it looks, ultimately like the function of it, there are certain ways it should be, but there's a lot more decisions that are riding on you as the designer. Whereas in user experience design, a lot of the decisions come from what everyone else thinks about what you're doing. And by actually testing it, seeing firsthand how people use it and using things that work, keeping and keeping things that work and then editing out things that don't. And so I really liked that that aspect of it was no longer the onus on me, but on actual sort of was could be tested. Yeah, it's very kind of research driven and and process driven and human behavior driven. And um, And it seemed very practical and very practical. Yes. Um, And very kind of like tangible as well. So you then realized, okay, so UX is a thing. The tech industry is a thing. How did you end up getting to New Day then? So I started looking at different courses and stuff that I could do in UX. And I decided that seeing as I had also just moved back to London, I didn't necessarily have like a network to kind of rely on in London itself because I hadn't been here since I was 17, 18. And just for context, you were in Texas at the time, right? Yeah. So I was in Texas at the time and then moved back to London last summer from Texas. And so yeah, I decided that a course, an in-person course was probably going to be my best bet because I wanted to actually meet people. I think that having people that are going through a similar, people who are also learning are great to learn from as well as to kind of understand all the different industries that brought people there. So yeah, it was really important to me to kind of do an in-person like learning experience. And so I signed up for a course at General Assembly and then really loved that course and ended up actually being a teaching assistant for it. And then from there applied for 
different jobs within user experience design and then landed a job at New Day, which I started at the beginning of this or in March this year. I kind of want to dig into that decision a little bit because I've also made the move to the US and back to Europe as well. And it can be quite daunting, I think, in particular when you had started to build kind of your adult life or in your career in DC and then having moved to Texas. What ultimately kind of led you to make that decision to come back? Was it because it was home or was it because of other reasons? So I think it was pretty much because it was home in the sense that while in Texas, I felt very detached from my family. I've always, I'm definitely a family buddy at heart. I love spending time with my family. And so even in, when I was in Virginia, DC, I was a few hour drive away from New York, which, um, which is where my sister and grandparents and a lot of family live. And so there I felt very connected to them. But the second that I moved to Texas, I suddenly felt pretty homesick and was like, why on earth am I here? I have no one else around me here. Like, what was this decision? And I loved it there. Austin is amazing. Do not regret that decision at all. But it was definitely not a long-term move. For me, it was kind of either moving to New York, closer to my family there, or coming back to London to my family here. And where I've not really lived in New York, London just seemed like the obvious choice because it really just is home. And so it kind of came with, you know, you, you did it feel like you almost had to start from scratch anyways in terms of a professional network because you were retraining? So did it feel like this big daunting decision or not really? Yeah, I, I felt just very confused. I also hadn't really applied to jobs in London properly before because all of that was in the States. And so I was just confused about everything. And I kept being asked about my like, GCSE and A-level results while I was applying and it was things that I had not thought about in so long. I was, there was a lot going on. I also was like moved back to London, so moved back into my childhood room and so there was all kinds of am I even an adult anymore <laughs> questions going on in my mind. So yeah, everything felt pretty strange but I think signing up to the course and just committing to something made me feel a lot better. Getting into a sort of professional type routine where I kind of had something to do every day was learning and had a direction really helped. And I think that's a really interesting thing that you just said there, right? Is like this this notion of of moving back to your family home. Because in particular, if you kind of still have that room, I remember always visiting during the summers and going into my old childhood room. And it's like, it's almost like you kind of revert to that, like that age and that family dynamic. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. So then how was that kind of for you having been quite a abroad living your own life and then kind of coming back and realizing, okay, I'm retraining. Um, It was a three-month course, right? So quite long period of retraining as well. Not as long as your architecture degree, but (laughs) uh, a lot shorter. And then kind of balancing and navigating this whole, I mean, you grew up in London, so not necessarily new environment, but almost like returning as an adult because you had left when you were 18, right? How was that period? Uh, It was definitely strange, but again, because I had all my friends here, I'm still pretty close or very close to all of the friends that I had in school here. So that kind of made it pretty easy in the sense that I had like my social network sorted. Um, And then obviously my family was there and I have a lot of family. So that's constant like people to hang out with and more so like the professional network standpoint that I found the hardest. But again, through kind of having other people going through the same thing around me at General Assembly. It was not, I wouldn't say easy, but it seemed kind of simple to understand how at least to insert myself into something. And so I kind of just started going to like 
meetups and networking events and things like that to start trying to understand like how to build a network in London. So you retrained as a UX designer, but then also ended up in teaching, which was something you mentioned was kind of your initial interest anyways. How did that kind of feel that did retraining into UX and then also becoming a teaching assistant and now you still teach while while you're working full time as well? Did that kind of just feel like, you know what, yes, this is this is the right path or what was that like? Yes, that actually felt like the most normal for me in the sense that even during undergrad and graduate school, I was doing teaching assistant positions anytime I could get them. I absolutely love doing it. And so that, again, being able to do that and being hired to do that also in some way reinforced like someone else thinks you can do this. Like, it's all right, you're on the right path. Like, it's going to happen. So that sort of, I really enjoyed it. So with that, teaching clearly kind of is a passion of yours. Is that something that within the company that you're also interested in doing? Or is there some some ways in which you kind of want to weave that into your job as well? Definitely. So it was actually one of the big talking points during my interview for a new day. Me being a teaching assistant could help me kind of be an advocate for design within the larger company at New Day. And so I definitely am looking out for kind of opportunities to do that. Not entirely sure what format that could be in, but it's definitely something that I would really like to do. I think it's an interesting thing with UX as well, right? Because it's not a industry and a job that most people know about, but it's so incredibly vital. So you almost have to talk about what it is that you specifically do on a day-to-day basis. Is that something that has kind of become easier with time as well? Definitely. I think the first couple times that people asked me, I panicked about what the correct answer was, especially also knowing that like I'm a teaching assistant or taking a course and like I'm in the learning, I should really have like a definition ready. But I think that kind of as in more, the more in which I do it, the more that my definition also keeps changing because it's a kind of job where you wear a lot of different hats, a lot of different a lot, there's a lot of different tasks that you do. And so kind of whatever I'm currently working on might be the answer that comes to mind, but that's not really maybe the holistic definition of what it is. So yeah, definitely getting more and more used to saying what user experience design is, but I probably miss out half of what I really think it is every time I say it. And you also started at a quite interesting time because with the timing, it ended up that you started was it the week of lockdown at New Day? So when London went into lockdown because of coronavirus, you started your kind of role within the company completely remotely. Yep. And so that was really strange. I was so excited to get there, to meet everyone. And then it was suddenly go pick up my computer and then sit in my room by myself. <laughs> and what what has that kind of been like? Because I feel like so much about starting a new job is about kind of understanding the co- company culture and getting a chance to like meet your coworkers. So have you actually met a lot of your coworkers in person yet? So I've met the ones that um, interviewed me and that's about it. So I've met four people in person, actually five, including HR people as well. So yeah, it's really strange. I definitely have started to kind of started to recognize people's like little pictures from emails and everything. <laughs> but majority of the time, everyone's videos are off because bandwidth just cannot handle that. And so I'm really looking forward to actually meeting everybody, hopefully at some point, but who knows when that'll even be. But I think that it really puts a test on how you can operate and on how a company can operate in kind of a time like this. Everyone reached out to me and made me feel like very comfortable from like my home. And so although I really do miss kind of the collaborative nature that design inherently has, there has been a lot of like community building and culture building, even from a remote capacity. And with with that, I think you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're quite structured 
in general. Um, for context here, Roshni is the only person who has managed to consistently get me to wake up and work out before work. Nobody in the history has ever <laughs> managed to do that. But within that, you're quite kind of, you're very self-driven and you really kind of seem to thrive off of structure. So how has that kind of change been when there was a lack thereof, I guess, externally? I've really self-imposed a lot of structure on myself. I still have my morning workouts on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and nothing will move those, even though there's literally no reason for me to waking up that early to just move from bed to desk. But it really helps me kind of keep some form of normalcy within kind of how weird of a time this is. So yeah, I really do thrive on structure. And it was strange trying to figure out my own structure. I was kind of when starting a new company, you're very willing to other people's structures to kind of be imposed on you. But I had to sort of come up with my own. But I've stuck to it. <laughs> and within that kind of, you know, starting in a junior role in a new industry, obviously you had a lot of experience kind of from your, your other career. But in terms of kind of learning and absorbing new information, how kind of do you balance that between, especially in the tech industry, right? It's such a fast-paced industry of staying up to date and learning new things, but also just being really realistic and having actual work to do um, that needs to get done as well. So how do you kind of balance that? I know you're a massive fan of hackathons, which <laughs> I feel like we need, to, we need to talk about. What on earth, Roshni, is a hackathon? Uh, and why do you like them so much? Another question that I feel like I've been asked way too many times and still just <laughs> probably don't even have a good answer to. So a hackathon, again, my description, probably everyone else will have a different one. But it's a setting where it can be different, like, lengths of time, but it's getting people from different industries who don't necessarily know each other, don't do any of the same stuff, to come together and try and tackle a specific problem. And so, yep, this corona period, for some reason, I decided was a hackathon time for me. So I did two, like, consecutively my first two weekends, and I'm still working on the project for one of the ones that I did the second weekend, so I've not signed up for any more. I just am consistently working on my hackathon project. But... Yeah, so I think that's been a really great way to stay learning in the sense that this team that I have um, on the Hackathon project, we're all from different industries. And so they really rely on me a lot to kind of bring in a user's point of view. And so anytime someone makes a decision, I'm constantly questioning like, but how did that decision come about? Like, what was that based on? So having a lot of different perspectives come together and really having to kind of hold the user and be the advocate for the user within the design has... Yeah, it's been really enjoyable. And it's quite a cool way of, like you mentioned, getting different perspectives, but also feel like it's a, it's a fun problem-solving challenge. And you just kind of have to do it really quick. With your most recent hackathon, you've been working on a really cool project. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So the project we've been working on is called POPIC, which is a point-of-purchase impact calculator. It's a mouthful. Oh, yeah. POPIC is much easier. Maybe POPIC. We've never actually really said it out loud that much. We've been typing it a lot, so I don't know which is the preferred pronunciation. <laughs> but it's a Chrome extension that basically you'd be able to apply to different websites and it would calculate at the point of purchase, it would calculate the impact and the life cycle assessment of your product um, to help you kind of make more educated decisions about what you're shopping for. Because a lot of research has found that people want to be more environmentally friendly, but don't necessarily know how to. So it's kind of trying to be a passive way to help people make more informed decisions. Also a big mouthful. <laughs> and within that, I think hackathons are also interesting because they always seem to have, 
or at least the ones that I've kind of experienced or have been a part of, not from a participant perspective, but kind of helping facilitate them have a theme such as sustainability or accessibility or healthcare. Are there kind of specific values, I guess values like a big word people talk about now, but are there specific things that you really care about within the tech industry and that kind of led you to sign up to them? Or did you just kind of go with with a ton of different hackathons that seemed interesting? The reason I kind of signed up for these two hackathons, one was about how to design something that helped people currently who are trying to, it was right at the very beginning of the coronavirus. And so it was designing something that would help people in the current time. And then the second one was kind of focused on life after Corona and how everything is, I think there's not going to be any kind of new normal once this is all done. And so both of these projects were kind of focused on like tech for good, which again is another like buzzword term that I probably don't have a good definition for, but it's essentially designing digital products that do good for the world. Um, And so I've also been interested kind of in doing tech projects within the nonprofit sector, um, which is one of the projects that I worked on at General Assembly. So is Tech for Good something you were kind of always interested in, or has that kind of developed as you started to to work in UX? Was that something you were always aware of? No, definitely was not aware of it at all, kind of until I started knowing about the UX world. But I have been interested in, in trying to do different types of community-focused, I guess, projects. So even within architecture school, um, I worked on a project to help design a school in Uganda. And so I've, I've kind of always been on the lookout for different kind of positive impact things that I could do with whatever my career was. And was that something you took into account when applying, initially applying for jobs? Or how did you kind of figure out what you wanted specifically in your first role as a UX designer? So while applying for jobs, I was not necessarily as focused on kind of like what the product that the company did, but more sort of about the company culture. Because as a junior, I just have so much to learn that it was more important to me to be in an environment where I could really learn from everyone around me and kind of have some mentorship and be somewhere where like there's a known product that I can really keep working on and learning from all of the data that they've been accumulating. Um, So that was definitely more of a focus versus what the product actually was. So when going through the interview process, did you, because I think company culture, again, is one of those buzzwords nowadays. Um, But was that something you kind of scoped out through intuition? Or did you talk to anyone who worked at the company? Or how did you kind of figure out, yes, this is actually the, the type of culture I'm looking for? So New Day host a couple of like or not a couple, they host quite a few different meetups in, um, in their building. Well, hopefully they will do if we ever get to go there. And so I've been to a couple of those and gotten to speak to people who work for the company, both within design as well as in kind of other fields. And everyone just raved about it. Everyone seemed to really enjoy working there. And that's, I think, that kind of sold me on it because if ever people who have no real reason to be super enthusiastic after work and staying and hanging out there, it kind of shows a lot about the company. So before we kind of wrap up, one of the things I kind of want to talk about is potentially for someone who is in the process of wondering around whether or not they should do a career change, how do you have some of those conversations around, you know, you mentioned, unless I have something that I actually know I want to to go into, I'm not going to leave my master's. When you then made the decision, okay, like I am definitely going to kind of switch paths here. How did you approach some of those conversations because I feel like sometimes 
they can be a lot more daunting in our minds than they actually are in reality. So yeah, how I'm just very curious as to like how you approach those conversations and were able to kind of differentiate what you really knew you wanted versus what other people wanted you to do. So yeah, I think that was definitely actually really hard because I think everyone knew how hard I was finding it moving back to London and trying to like figure out what I wanted to do. But a lot of people just out of the kindness of their heart were trying to like, oh, I have an architect friend here if you want to speak to them or, oh, I have this person if you want. And it was really hard for me to be like, that's amazing. Thank you. But no, I actually don't want to speak to that person because I don't really want to get dragged down into that again, because if that works out, I'm just going to do it because I kind of need a job, but I don't really want to. So it was pretty hard to try and just keep staying strong. Like, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for thinking of me. But actually, I'm now kind of moving away from designing things for the physical realm and kind of moving into the digital realm. And I know it sounds really weird and different, but and then I had my whole spiel about how architecture and UX aren't that different. And it makes a lot of sense. And I, I really... So did you feel like you had to justify yourself a little bit or not really? Definitely. I think, I mean, even still till today, there's people who I haven't spoken to in a few years that will randomly see something on LinkedIn and message me and be like, wait, what? Weren't you in the architecture school? What's going on? And, you know, they're just trying to catch up and it's not a, it's not a quick response. <laughs> so I definitely feel like I constantly have to sort of justify why I made that change and kind of justify like the time spent in architecture that is no longer being devoted to architecture. I think it's an interesting one too, because I feel like the German system and the British system, or not necessarily the British system, but I'm just going to say like the, the schools in the UK that I'm familiar with, the universities, you commit to studying a specific degree. Whereas in the US, you kind of have some time to figure out what it is that you want to study. And I feel like I mean, I'm wrong about this, but I feel like from my own observation, it's typically individuals who were in the system where you picked one thing to do that one thing after you graduated. And in the U.S., I think it's much more likely to graduate and do something completely different. And so is that something you're finding as well of kind of having these conversations of people who just can't almost get, yeah, their minds are a little bit blown of like, wait a minute, but you, you've committed and you studied to this and now you're doing this other thing? Like how and why? Definitely. And I kind of pretty much tell most people who ask about it that my like bubble of best friends in the architecture school, I think one of them is doing architecture right now. So a lot of us changed and it's completely normal and absolutely fine. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of it, right? Of we can go down one career path and then change. And I actually personally hope that I have multiple careers because I want to keep life interesting and I want to keep keep learning. And kind of just wrapping up here, I always ask three questions. The first being, what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? So I'm not really sure if I can say this book changed my life, but a book that I really recently enjoyed reading was The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. And it's basically just about how to make yourself happier, even if you feel happy. And so I just thought it was really interesting about how to make small changes to your routine, be happier in life. Do you have a specific change that you've made because of it? Putting you on the spot here. One of them was about like not getting annoyed at things that people... Like if there's something that someone else does that annoys you to just, just do it. Cause you're always going to like use that energy to get annoyed at them. And instead, if you use that energy to just do the thing that they're not doing, I probably still do get annoyed about a lot of things, but I found that that was like, okay, it takes me two seconds to do it or I get annoyed and I hold that grudge in my mind. And so that was one thing that I really liked from it. Are you asking, are you talking about things that other people ask you to do? But like, if you keep getting annoyed about 
annoyed with someone for like not putting a dish in the dishwasher the right way that instead of like getting oh, annoyed do, yeah. about it just do it yourself because like that energy that you're wasting and that like those few moments of negativity of like telling that person off is just not worth the two seconds it takes to do it yourself. I think that's it's such great advice in particular, I feel like when everyone's currently sitting on top of each other in lockdown. And the second question is, what is your secret to success? I really love to try new things if the whole like job transition wasn't obvious um, about that. But so I quite like to just say yes to random opportunities, activities, lectures, anything really. And so I feel like that's kind of helped me come into everything with an open eye and not really focus so much on succeeding, but on learning and experimenting. And so, yeah, I think that's really helped me. And lastly, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life differently? I think definitely that anything that you do is not a waste of time. (laughs) I feel like the amount of times I've heard, but nine years, that's so long. And I feel like I would have loved if people just kept saying that, like, even though yes, you're not directly studying or um, working in the field you studied for. There's still so much that you learn from that and it can always be applied even as soft skills, even if it's not something that's like completely related. Yeah, no, no time is ever wasted, which is such a beautiful note to end on. If people want to find out more about you, uh, where can they find you? I think you're very active on LinkedIn. <laughs> I am. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my website, both of which I'll share with you, Julia. Amazing. I'll put those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much, Roshni. I really appreciate you being on this podcast. Thank you, Julia. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you got as much out of it as I did. If this conversation has helped you in any way or led to any insights, please do share it with friends, colleagues, family. You can also screenshot the podcast and share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me at Modern Day Rebels. I would love to know what insights you had. If you do have the chance, I would be incredibly grateful if you could please write a review on Apple Podcast, as this helps me record more episodes and makes it easier for others to find it. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Modern Day Rebels on Apple Podcasts, follow the podcast on Spotify, or listen in on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow at Modern Day Rebels on Instagram to stay up to date on each week's episode and receive some practical tips and tricks you can easily apply in your day-to-day. See you next Monday.